If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Wanted to get ahead of the wave. Why don't you think you got called up? Because I put my word was call Chad Durbin up. And they told me, mm, I don't know if we can do that. And he said, well, then why is he here? And, and they said, well, I mean, he doesn't project very well. The same stuff that he's throwing with down there is not going to do well at the big league level. It just never has. And so he slammed that scouting report down and said, we got to change something. All right, welcome to another episode of From Phenom to the Farm, an interview series presented by Baseball America. I'm your host, Kyle Bandujo. Today, we have part two of our talk with former Major League pitcher Chad Durbin, and we are picking up right where we left off, right as Chad was trying to cement himself in the Royals rotation. He has Tommy John and eventually gets non-tender that following offseason. In this upcoming episode, we're going to focus mainly on Chad's career, uh, his major league career, talking about his journey to get back to the majors and staying there, uh, bouncing around from five organizations in five years, and what it's like to play on a World Series champion, what goes into that as a player individually, and then kind of what goes into that team chemistry. It was a really good talk. Uh, really enjoyed having Chad on the podcast. He he is a quite the storyteller. Uh, very grateful that he took enough time for two episodes on his career story. If you enjoy this episode and want to get upcoming episodes as soon as they're released every other Tuesday, please subscribe to this feed wherever you get your podcast and take the time to leave a five-star rating and a review if you so wish. Those do help the pod. Uh, and go back, check out previous episodes talking to current and former players. Also, make sure to check out everything going on at BaseballAmerica.com. BA is keeping you up to date on everything pre-draft, from scouting reports to updates regarding the draft date and format. Uh, recent mock draft just dropped. There are still so many good reasons to check out Baseball America every single day. If you're a baseball fan, highly encourage you to do that. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Kyle Banduho. I'll be posting updates on this series with future guests and episode info, as well as my weekly sports movie podcast, Big Screen Sports, which drops every Monday. With that, let's get to part two of our talk with former Major League pitcher Chad Durbin. But that that offseason was all, you know, two-a-days, basically. I went in to the, the, the hand surgeon or the hand rehabilitation place, and that's what, you know, you do your whole protocol. 
And I remember the fear of, you know, and nobody understanding it other than like Kurt Ainsworth, who had had Tommy John surgery that I talked about that you know, grew all those inches and was a first rounder. So you gravitated to those guys like, hey, man, how was it? You're like, man, it sucks, but you, it'll it's going to happen. You just got to put in the work. And I was a hard worker. So I busted my butt in the protocol. Um, by the time that three months had gone by, I felt like I was in a pretty good position to make it back in, in the protocol's um, time range. And in December, I had gone up to Indiana where my mom lived, Warsaw, Indiana. And I was, uh, it was a couple days before Christmas. Um, and Allard Baird called me. He was the GM with the Royals. And he said, Chad, uh, you, know, you probably already know this. You're a smart kid. But we're going to go ahead and non-tender you. And to be dead honest, Kyle, I'd been around for a little while, had no idea what the hell a non-tender was. So you didn't see any scenario. You you just assumed, even when you got your cert, you, I'm going to be in spring training with the Royals next year and, and be working this out. So yeah, I'll do my rehab with all these people that I know and love. Um, there's no, you know, no rubber hits the road um, and you got to go. I just assumed that that's the way that it, life hadn't hit me with that one yet. Um, and, it, and it's the first time. I didn't quite understand it was a business until a couple days later because the same guy, Muzzy Jackson, was supposed to call me. Um, right after I got off the phone with Allard Baird, Allard said, um, Muzzy's going to call you. We're going to talk to you about what a, a minor league deal would look like. And obviously, I feel like this is the best place for you to come do your rehab because you know everybody and, and we know what you're all about. I didn't get that phone call. I remember going to uh, the Health South um, you know, place in Warsaw, Indiana to go do my PT work. And I, I, it must have been the 22nd or 23rd because I went on Christmas Eve and did my PT work and, and they opened it up on Christmas for me too. So I went right, I mean, like I said, I worked hard. Um, I got a call on the 26th of, uh, of December and Mark Shapiro, you know, and my, my agent, Danny Horowitz, who was, uh, who was a great agent for me. Um, I left him towards the end, but a fantastic guy. He said, hey, um, I hadn't, I hadn't heard from Kansas City, but uh, Mark Shapiro, the Indians, they, they want to talk to you. And so Mark called and he's like, hey, uh, was there anything like that that happened? Or, or would, you con- would you consider coming with the Indians? We've had you earmarked for a while. We would really like to have you with, with the club. We're in a rebuild, and we, we feel like we have a really good chance in a couple of years of being good. And, um, you know, t- to be honest with you, you know, I, I was just kind of shaking my head. Like, I can't believe Muzzy hasn't called. I didn't know this was an option. Um, let me talk to Danny. Let me let me talk to a couple other guys about about this. But yeah, I mean, I think the Indians organization's great. And, and while we were talking, he said, "Did you know that Tim Maxey, strength conditioning guy, and Lee Koontz, the assistant trainer for the Royals, they're both coming over here, and Lee will be in charge of rehabilitation, and Tim Maxey is going to be our minor league um, and big league um, kind of uh, swing guy on the strength conditioning side." Which that meant two of my favorite guys in exactly what I needed were going there. I mean, that couldn't have been any lower hanging fruit, but he said, I just need to know before this is Mark Shapiro. I need to know before if you want to go back with the Royals, I'll make the phone call for you. Like that's how true to character Mark Shapiro is. And that moment, like I remember thinking it like this guy actually gives a crap. Even there's no way you're balking on that one. You're, you're actually saying what you, what you would want said. And I said, you know what? I'd love to be a Cleveland Indian. I know it's a you know a fuzzy comeback from this, um, but you know I'm I'm flying through my protocol. And he said, I have no doubt you are. I know how hard you work. You know Tim Maxey told me. So I ended up signing with uh, the Indians a couple days later, going to spring training with them, and it was 
CC Sabathian, Cliff Lee, and Mark Guthrie, I mean, not Mark Guthrie, uh, Jeremy Guthrie. Um, you know, we, uh, Jack Cresson, who's a, one of my best friends now, he was with the twins and had a shoulder surgery around the same time. So we did our, our rehab protocol together. Uh, but I went there and it was very familiar. It was really hard work, but man, did it prepare me for, you know, the next couple of years of baseball. Um, 03, I got back to the big leagues inside of a year. Um, got called up on September 1 of 03, had my surgery on September 5th of 02. And I remember thinking that was a big time milestone event. I hadn't heard of anybody else that had gotten back inside of a year and there wasn't a freaking sound from anybody. And I wasn't about to wave that flag because I was just happy to get back up there. Did you feel a hundred percent? Did you feel like pre-surgery you? Did you ever again feel like pre-surgery you? Uh, No, I didn't. I, uh, if we were, if we were sitting in front of, uh, a track man or, or Statcast or Rapsodo, I guarantee you my four seam spin rate, just ba- the spin rate in general, I guarantee you it went down 10, 15%. It went from elite, you're missing my fastball if, if you're not completely convinced it's coming, to I could locate it and it would get hit really hard. It was still good, but it wasn't you know, it wasn't in those, the elite spin rate ranges anymore. And that's for the rest of your career. You feel like that. Yeah. You know, I, I, and, and I had to adjust a little bit later on. Um, and and it was a really cool moment when, when my, I guess my scouting report was flopped down in front of me, but, um, Oh three, I made it back and I was so happy. Oh four. I worked really hard again in the off season. I always did. I went into spring training in Oh four and I made that team. Um, and it was tough. Um, it was me, Jake Westbrook, and another guy named Jason Stanford, and we were competing for the fifth spot. And like I said, their their staff then was CC and Cliff, and I mean, you know, Jeremy Guthrie was fighting for a spot. I mean, it was that was a loaded team, and I made it. I beat those guys out, and I was you know not even eighteen months out of surgery. I was close to it, and I just couldn't get the I couldn't get on track. I was in the pen. I'm not used to being in the pen, and. I didn't pitch for like 28 days. I ended up addressing it with Mark Shapiro and he said, well, we've got two choices. You can just continue to be a long reliever and we're pitching pretty well. Um, you may get an inning here and there, but you probably won't get a whole lot of work. It's actually really good for your arm. Um, or you can go down to AAA and, and, and throw innings. And I said, well, that's y'all's choice, but I want to pitch. I feel like I can do this. And, and they I got sent down to AAA, pitched really well. Um, I came back up and, uh, I just there was I just didn't feel confident enough with my stuff to go out and throw the ball over the plate. Um, Tim Laker, who was a catcher there, I remember him and Victor Martinez was catching, um, and they're just Chad. You got to throw the ball over the plate more. Your stuff's good. So and there's a chance, Kyle, that my stuff was close to what it was. I didn't believe in it yet, um, and they were trying to teach me a slider, um, which obviously the the, the curveball just what it was a power curveball. It wasn't a strike curveball. I needed something else. So I ended up getting sent out. Um, it was like me or Cliff Lee, which one do you keep? Um, and this was like on August 28th, 29th of, uh, of 04. And they ended up choosing Cliff Lee, which is understandable. In retrospect, that choice probably looks pretty good. Yeah, they, they made the right choice. But it was that time in the, in the year where you might slip through, right? You might slip through and end up being, um, you know, available to come right back up in September and this is just for listeners' sake. They 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 had to remove you from the forty man. Is that you, you got put on waivers? They they took they put me on waivers. Yes. So I guess for them they needed space on forty man, and they put you on waivers. And if you clear waivers, then 
And this was like, I was out of options two times, three times over by now. Um, so it was going to be my choice on what I wanted to do as far as accepting an assignment. And I was going to be fine accepting an assignment, but the very first team available, because we were in the American League, the National League gets their the first run at um, at, at a guy on waivers, and the very first team was the Arizona Diamondbacks. They were they had lost on they lost 100 games that year, or we lost 100 games, I guess I have to say. But um, they picked me up. I went out there, you know, got to play with Randy Johnson and be around. Um, you know, Gonzo and a bunch of other guys. It was just one month. Al Padrique was my manager. Remember, he was my manager in the Gulf Coast League. And it was I was excited to see him. I thought, man, what a perfect spot for me to be in. Um, this guy knows me. He knows how I work. And, you know, I pitched in relief. I didn't really get a whole lot of opportunity. I was I really thought I was going to go off there. My uncle, um, you know, passed away in 03 and he was living in Phoenix. So I was like, man, this is meant to be. I'll be around my Aunt Becky, um, that type of stuff. And I just, I didn't have a good year. They were going to clean everything after the year and they did. And so I went into the off season, not knowing what the heck was going to happen. And I was a little more aware of this being a business, obviously after the last couple of years. So we decided to go with the Washington nationals in 05. It was their very first year as the nationals, I believe. And, um, it was a wreck. They didn't have, they didn't have coaches in every spot. You know, Brent Strom was there, um, as the, uh, minor league coordinator. So I had another guy that, you know, and he actually wrote me an apology, a three-page apology after my Tommy John surgery. I, I should have mentioned that earlier. He wrote me an apology just saying, Chad, you know, I just really, I still think you could be a, a big-time big leaguer. You're, you got lightning in a bottle as far as your competitiveness. Put in the work. I'm here for you. Um, some of the things I was trying out, I wasn't 100% right, but it was never to the detriment of, of progress. Um, so in which is, you know, if you know Brent Strom or you've even paid attention, he's always pushing against that envelope and there's going to be some collateral damage. And maybe it was my workload. Maybe it was a little bit of the stuff he did. I was, he was never to blame. I blamed him for a couple of years. I don't blame him anymore, but he was there in, in, in Washington. When you signed, when you signed with the, uh, with the nationals in the, the Oh four Oh five off season, did you still, did you feel like at that point that you're, you were a big leaguer, could be a big leaguer, could still get back on track? Did you have that confidence in yourself still? Or was there any sort of thought in your mind of maybe this, you know, this surgery or whatever's going on, maybe I don't quite, I, I might not have a future in this past this season? I, I, I don't think I, I gave, I, I didn't give my future enough thought on that. I still, I was, I mean, I guess as far as youth is concerned, I was still in my mid 20s um you know mid 20 i guess 26 27 um yeah i got married in in 2005 so i was 28 going in 20 yeah 28 going into that year so i uh i went i guess i went about everything the same way but in in it's good that you asked that because if you asked my wife the same thing she'd tell you that off season killed you um you had you had got engaged your focus wasn't you know working as hard or, or making changes. It was just, they're, they're not giving me the chances I deserve. I didn't get to start enough. I didn't get this. I was making, I started making excuses. So when I went to AAA New Orleans, they had, they had me piggyback, piggybacking with guys that were on big league rehab. So I wouldn't pitch until the fifth inning. I might throw two and then they'd throw in the relievers, try to get, you know, some outs and win a game. So I ended up focusing on all the negatives. I, I actually hit 318 that year because I had a blast doing something other than pitching. 
um, you know, it, it was fun. I, mean, I hit, hit and did that stuff. But in, in retrospect, I just didn't, you know, I thought I was good enough. I just thought nobody was going to give me a shot anymore. So I was, I complained every day. It was an hour drive. There were three guys in town, Eddie Yarnell, who I mentioned earlier, Scott Hodges, who was a supplemental pick for the Expos um, way back and, and had some misdiagnoses on, uh, he had cancer and they fused his spine thinking it was his spine. Um, but we rode every day and, and kind of all in the same spot, man. Woe is me. You know, we're not getting our opportunities. Well, there was a night I was laying in bed and complaining again. And my wife, uh, she was my fiance at the time. She, she turned over and said, listen, are you going to complain? Are you going to complain for the rest of your life like this? Or are you going to do something about it? And I wanted, I, I, I was sure I was on my computer or playing Xbox. God knows what I was doing, but I don't remember what I was doing. I remember how I felt. I wanted her to be a man so I could fight her. And I remember how mad I was. I didn't sleep. I winked the rest of the night. But during that night, I, I remember thinking, I'm, I'm going to drive myself to the field every day. I'm going to leave at like noon. I'm going to get there early. I'm going to work my butt off. I'm going to have the right conversations with the right people. I'm not going to hang around the people that are dragging me down anymore. Um, and anybody wants to have a conversation, it's going to be positive. I'm, I'm going to go be the best I, I possibly can the rest of this year, no matter what situation I get into. And I had a really good end of the year. I mean, I saved like a 70 RA and brought it into the fives, which is awful. How do you go about getting better at this point? You're, you know, you're 27, 28 years old. You've been in pro baseball for almost a decade now. You've got not diminished stuff, but just you don't have what you had before the surgery. What is the the process like for actually getting better when you've reached, you know, age 27, 28? What are what are the steps? How do you even, you know, improve? Well, I think it was the the preparation, like feeling prepared, knowing that you've worked as hard as you can. You can look yourself in the mirror so much easier. Uh, in this case, it would be a rearview mirror because you're you're kind of driving home. But that was my. I know I hadn't worked as hard as I, I should have. I wasn't finding the gym uh, as often as I should. I wasn't running my sprints. I mean, it's a, it's easy to make excuses in New Orleans in August. It's hot, um, but I kind of grabbed my nuts and in spite of myself, I went, I went back to work and I took, you know, Katrina happened the end of that season. And, you know, so it was another one of those, you know, kind of weird off seasons. Um, but so that year ended and I took that same attitude into the, the fall and into the winter. And when I signed, we decided to sign with the, the Tigers in 06 and we knew that they were going to be a team that could possibly go to the world series. I may not get a call up, but Toledo had a good recipe of um, pitching coach. Um, the team knew me. Um, I happened to know some guys, you know, in the organization. So I went there and I just I showed up first guy. I mean, it was hard in spring training because you got some guys in, in Percival and there. I mean, that team was loaded. I was the first guy there every day and I tried to be the last guy to leave. The, the wife stayed home. She had a a paint your own pottery business, which is hilarious to think back. And she had, she was going to stay home while I did spring training because specifically I wasn't going to be around. I was going to spend 12 hours at the field every day. And I did it. And I earned a ton of respect with Jim Leland and I turned, I earned a ton of respect with the players and I got sent out maybe first, second cut. I think I was wearing number 82. Um, you know, when you get that number that you're not a receiver, you're going to get set out. So you, uh, I went down to AAA Toledo and I remember Jeff Jones was our pitching coach. Um, we had a we had 
Alfredo Ledesma. We had Zach Miner. We had, we had a pretty good uh, team there. We ended up winning the, the title that year. But about a month into the season, I was pitching really well, um, you know, kind of the same way I did at the end of the season. And But it was still the same guy, four-seam. And I was probably 88 to 92 consistently, still competitive. Um, curveball was maybe a little bit slower. It was still a power curveball. I was trying to throw the piss out of it because I had to. And my changeup was okay. It wasn't as good as it was when I was younger. So I'm throwing like an 81, 82 mile an hour changeup, and I'm not throwing as hard anymore. So, but I was able to locate, I was able to get ahead. I had bought into strike one and, and the numbers of baseball. So I had the right approach. I had started to make that adjustment in spring training. I, because I was around, I talked to some guys that I normally wouldn't have. And that was their thing. It's like, you like numbers, you like investments, right? And I was like, yeah, I love them. Um, well, what do you need to do to get the numbers to matter over time? Well, you just have to keep, you know, putting, put, if you're investing in it, you put money in every two weeks or every month and you just continue to plow away and you'll catch it on the up and the downswings. Well, the same thing happens in baseball. The guy hits the first pitch out of the park. Let's see if the next guy does. And so I bought back into some of the things that I did young. And then Jeff Jones slapped my scouting report on, on a table. I was in the middle of doing well. And he said, I just want to let you know, because another guy got called up. And I'm like, you know, he, he just wanted to get ahead of the wave. Why don't you think you got called up? Because I put my word was call Chad Durbin up. And they told me, mm, I don't know if we can do that. And he said, well, then why is he here? And, and they said, well, I mean he doesn't project very well. The same stuff that he's throwing with down there is not going to do well at the big league level. It just never has. And so he slammed that scouting report down and said, we got to change something. And I said, okay, well, what do we do? And he said, well, let's just think about it. And Colby Lewis was there too. That's another, so our team was loaded. He pitched with the Rangers for years and we had to play pepper and have our pants up every day. So I'm throwing cutters and sinkers and playing around with pepper and Jeff Jones saw it, and I'd pitched the day before, and he said, I want you to get on the mound. I want you to try to throw that cutter. And I was like, wait, what? Um, I don't throw a cutter. He goes, no, you're going to throw that cutter. So I threw like 10 to 15 on the mound, and they were decent. And he said, you're going to throw 15 to 20 of those in the game. And so I went out, and I threw 15, 20 cutters. I threw 86 pitches, something like that, through eight innings. And, he, you know, we had a guy down in rehab to throw the ninth. And so the next outing, or in between, my next bullpen, he goes, I got another toy for you. Let's keep working on that cutter. You have pretty good command of it. Um, here's, a, here's a grip that I learned with Tim Hudson in the fall league years ago. It's a one-seam sinker grip. Let's, let's try this out. And I, the first couple I threw, they just moved, it moved all over the place. And so I went out the next out, and he goes, 15 to 20 of those. So I threw, you know, half the pitches that I threw that day were going to be sinkers or cutters. And I threw like a 78-pitch complete game. And the next outing was the same thing. Another eight inning outing with a you know guy with on rehab. I threw eight innings, threw like eighty six pitches again. And so he slammed down the scouting report and he goes, "It's not the same scouting report anymore. Look at this. Can definitely get big leaguers out. Can definitely do this. He's the same guy, but with sinker, cutter, curveball, four seam leg. All the weapons have just lined up now. This guy can go compete at the big league level again." And I ended up throwing, if you count the playoffs, 199 and two-thirds innings in Toledo that year in five months and change. You have your best statistical full season since you were 20 at that point. And that translates into a full-time big league gig in 2007. It's the first year in your career that you have not spent any time in the minor leagues. 
Did you feel at that point where you've added that cutter, you've had, you've gotten back to the big leagues, you've had success and you've dominated AAA and you've also had success in the big leagues. Did you feel at that point confident that you weren't going back down either with Detroit or someone else? I don't think I ever felt 100% confident. Even in the 07 year, I started at the beginning of the year because Kenny Rogers ended up with a blood clot. So I, I wasn't supposed to start. I was going to be in the in the pen. Um, and I ended up starting. And, and I was I think I was 6-2 and two with like a 4-1 as a starter. And, and that team was outstanding. We won 89 games, um, and Cleveland beat us out. But during the middle of the year, uh, they called up Andrew Miller, and he took my spot as a starter. And I was – I was doing well. There was just, I know what they were trying to do. They were trying to win a world series. And I know that now, but back then I'm like, man, what the heck is going on? What did I do to deserve this? Well, I didn't do anything. I did exactly what was needed of me. And I was never considered a guy there. So the end of the year comes and I still feel like, I know I'm a big leaguer and I know I'm going to get another big league shot, but I I still feel like they didn't have confidence in me. So what's wrong on my end? Like what, what am I not doing well enough? So I still wasn't quite there. And then in, in, in the off season, you know, we get non-tendered, which I understood it was going to be 950,000 to sign me at, with the Tigers. And, uh, you know, it ended up um, not quite uh, knowing what to do. I mean, I had an opportunity. Jim Leland called and he said, you know, he called me Chadley. Chadley, I think you should go to the Pittsburgh Pirates or the St. Louis Cardinals, somewhere in the NL. And, you know, stay out of the big cities. I just think it fits you. And I had the same thing. I had Dave DeLucci who played in Philly. I had Todd Jones call me. I had a bunch of guys calling me like, don't go play in Philly. It'll eat you alive. And I remember thinking, like, all my life I've really thrived under pressure. And I knew that team was good. And they were like, hey, if you, you, you know, Pat Gillig brought me up there, talked to him and, and Ruben Amaro. And I said, listen, I was, I was advised not to come here by some people I, I mean, that I trust. And I don't know if their reasoning, you know, was quite on the same page with what, why you're bringing me in here. So let's talk. And Pat Gillick's like, look, I think you're a piece that could really help out. I think you could be either our fifth starter, Adam Eaton's not getting it done at the level we thought he would. Um, he isn't as healthy. Um, but we also, this team's going to score runs. We're going to win 90 plus and we, we're going to go to the playoffs again. You, I think you can handle this stuff after, after your career and coming back the way you did. I really think you can handle this. So, I mean, I, I signed, I was so happy um, to, to, to have a deal for, you know, one year, $900,000. I mean, we're talking to me, that was just as good as it could possibly get. Who cares if I never make it to the big leagues again, I'm getting this this year, no matter what. And I went into spring and I pitched really well. I remember facing the tigers and throwing the, the absolute piss out of the ball against them. Um, and uh, did really well. I remember Al Kaline, who, you know, God rest his soul, was a phenomenal human being. He, you know, the, the timing of this recording, he, he passed away two days ago. And um, just, a, you know, Mr. K, you know, but he, he came up to me after that outing. And he goes, shame on them for not keeping you. Shame on them for not understanding what, uh, what kind of clubhouse guy you are and, and not believing in somebody that doesn't throw 97 miles an hour. Like, you're a big leaguer. Don't let anybody ever. T- I remember how much that meant to me at the moment, um, and I had just faced you know all their guys, um, you know, Maglio, Placido, like I mean, just they they were loaded at the time. Sean Casey, um, so but they they kind of got rid of us to bring in Miguel Cabrera and Dontrell Willis and all that. So I went and and I pitched really well in spring. I ended up not getting in the starting five. 
but it went to the pen as kind of a swing long guy, maybe pitched like the fifth or sixth. And I was, it was the best I'd ever thrown in my life. Oh, eight was as good. I went on a stretch to start the year of maybe three and a half months. And I was sub one and a half the whole way. Because they'd made that investment in you, did that, were you able to be a little more comfortable in Philadelphia just with, Hey, they, they want me. I'm probably not going down Did that, did that factor in it all just having the, the financial comfort and the, the, the confidence comfort. Yeah. I think that that played a definite role. I think some of the other things that really played a role, and this is something I think about when I see teams getting um, put together is a lot of the guys were in a very similar age range. Jimmy Rollins, Jason Worth, Brad Lidge, uh, Chase Utley. Um, When you really go up and down that roster, other than Jamie Moyer and Cole Hamels, everybody was in within like a four or five year age range of each other. Um, Other than Flash Gordon and and Rudy Sienna's, there were some older guys there, but um, the main role players, they were similar age and man, they just breathed confidence into the players. Now, had I not gone out and done well, I'm sure they would have breathed other stuff at me, but there was a sense of heavy duty belonging. Like we need a guy like you in the fifth, sixth or seventh inning to shut down a team because we're going to continue to score. There was just this mantra um, of we, we just give us a chance to score late because we will step on, on throats. And I remember feeling the same thing while I was with the Tigers, except I wasn't the person they were believing in for it. I was a fifth, sixth starter type guy, and that's not the guy that you believe in. But to throw the sixth and seventh and throw a zero up there early in the year and having the monetary backing to know, man, every two weeks, this is a lot coming into the bank. So I'm really, really happy. It's going really well. Um, you know, we've got a young baby. We're, you know, we're having a blast. The, the organization's awesome. And then to continue to do well and to feel like I was, I was so excited to, to put on a cup and run out every day with a chance to play in the game. There's something about relieving that year that had a defined purpose to it. And that was all I needed. I mean, the everyday guy from high school that wanted to play a position, man, it just jumped off the page for me. This is, I'm much better at erasing a bad outing or continuing. I'm a, I'm a momentum guy as it is. I'm able to take momentum into this. And that's exactly what I did there. Uh, it was, it was the best, it was the most satisfying year that you know, 06 was really satisfying. 07 was more satisfying. And then 08 was, you know, just continued to, to breathe that confidence in me. I no longer thought that I was going to be a minor leaguer uh, again if I had a string of bad outings. So that was, that was a big time separator on the, from the mental side is a bad outing. And, and, and I'll, I'll say this about the guys. like Think about the managers I had. I had Jim Leland and then Charlie Manuel. Those guys, you have a bad outing they send you right back out there. And there's something to be said about that for confidence is, you know, number one, they want to see if I could do it again. Number two, they're sending me back out. And, you know, some of that is just having been around the game that long, but they really, um, you know, it was really special. Jim Leland was a huge difference maker from a mentality standpoint. Uh, Very honest with me. Um, If you don't pitch well, it's not a big deal. You just won't be a a tiger. You know, I've got to win. Um, and, and you're like, damn, okay, I get it. Um, skip, but, uh, you know, what do you mean? Like if you, if I don't pitch well, this next outing, like I'm gone. Yeah, that's exactly what I mean. I mean, that's scary. So, but it was honest and at least I knew it, it wasn't me guessing at it. So then the next year in 08 and then again in 09 and 10, 
Like those years. I was about also- to say we can't skip over 08. We've got we've got a big thing to talk about in 08. <laughs> so so 08, we just carried that momentum. I mean, you think about the guys that that were on that team, and and Brad Lidge had a perfect year. Um, I I fit right in in the seventh and eighth inning. J.C. Romero and and Scott Air were the lefties um, in the seventh and eighth inning. Um, you know, Ryan Madsen didn't start out the year well at all. Um, they were hoping that he would be the seventh eighth inning righty. And I ended up filling that role. And when I hit my wall in September, he was just absolutely coming into his own. And the team just, you know, took off. We, I don't think there was ever a game where I felt like the other team was better than us. And I've been in, on, on tons of teams, and, and I felt like the Tigers were really good. But, man, when we played certain teams, it's like, ooh, they're pretty good. But how I felt about our, our, our pen and that group, how the – the players felt about each other, how the starting staff, you know, felt about themselves, how the, the you know, front office and Pat Gillick just breeds that through an entire organization. So when, when we won the division and, and then started in the playoffs, right before all that happened, I remember Charlie Manuel, you know, having a meeting and he said, I, you know, I don't want anybody to relax. If, 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 ever, if you're worried about arbitration or you're worried about free agency or you're worried about getting paid, I can tell you how to get paid. Let's go win. Let's win this whole thing, and every one of you are going to get paid more than you deserve. And that's fantastic. I hope every one of you get it. And what's funny about that is it's exactly what everybody was thinking. For that small window of time that you got to catch your breath between winning a division and the playoffs starting, you start to think about what's going to happen in the offseason for a second. And he caught us, and he kind of – redefined our thinking let's go win and I don't I mean every game in the playoffs I felt like we were just going to stomp on the other team um you know CC was pitching for the Brewers and and we lit him up um it just felt like we were going to out compete anybody we played against and and a lot of the 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 pieces that came together like you had a guy like me who's you fought and, and scratched and clawed to, to get where he was and, and owned a role. I could have thrown a fit when Adam Eaton got moved out of that fifth spot. They brought Joe Blanton in, but they were going to have me start. I was going as good as you would possibly want a starter, but Charlie Manuel asked me, like, yeah, can you buy into this reliever role? Because I think we can win a title with you and a couple other guys buying into relievers' roles and not worrying about how much you're going to get paid next year if you're a starter. Um, so he understood some of those dynamics. And Jeff Jenkins came in that year from Milwaukee in this great career. And Jason Worth took over the right field spot from him, and he bought into it. He was a cheerleader and a leader in the clubhouse and never once blinked. And ended up having a huge double in, in game six, uh, no, game five of, of the World Series. And he ended up, um, you know, scoring a winning run. Uh, it, it's just, it's amazing the things that go on during a season and the buy-in is what separates um, a season like that from kind of losing focus. You, uh, you can get caught up in the business end of it. And, and we all know it's business, but that was what was really cool about that team and, and, and the staff. And I mean, the media, the fans, the fans needed, <laughs> they needed a win. It had been a long time. It had been since Mike Schmidt was out there in 93, they lost to the blue Jays um, on, on Joe Carter's walk-off. So, the, we won it. We, you know, the, the playoffs were amazing. We, we ended up winning it um, in game five of, of the World Series at home. We had a two-day break between 
the the sixth or seventh inning and um, and the finishing of the game. Everybody that came into town uh, to see the games had to go leave because they <laughs> their stay was done. And um, so it was it was very unique. Uh, the parade was on Halloween. There were two million people out there and dressed up as Spider Man, Incredible Hulk, and everything else. Um, absolutely, some of the best moments um, you know of my playing career. And it was it was almost so much that the black box kicked in a little bit. Like I can't, I, I have to watch videos or hear other guys talk. We're 10, 12 years removed from it now. And when I hear guys talk and, or it's usually the media or the coaches, cause the players were all kind of the same. Like oh, I barely remember that. Cause I was just focused on the moment. Um, you watch all that stuff and, you know, standing on top of a flatbed and you know, the, the sound of the crowd. Yeah. That was just really cool. And then the same team almost, you know, to a man, kind of came back for the 09 season. And I thought we were even better in 09. Um, you know, we, we, we went out and play. I, I threw, I threw pretty well, not as well, but according to Charlie Manuel, he thought I threw even better, um, which is weird. He said, I thought you were stronger come, you know, the middle of the season. I thought you trained right. I thought you did the things you needed to do. And I was one that he trusted more in the playoffs. I ended up having a great um, NLCS and NLDS and then, um, ran into a couple balls that just landed in open space in, uh, in the world series, but I was trusted and Oh nine, I soaked in everything so much more because I'd been there. And that's why you see all these guys, you know, you watch enough baseball, you're like, why is this reliever on this world series team? He's not as good as these two or three guys. Well, he's been in seven world series or he's been in six postseasons. He's just not going to get rattled. And that was the case. He's just, it's just another pitch and another game. It just happens to be on this huge stage. Um, and losing to the Yankees in, in 09, um, it hurt, but it would have hurt a whole lot more had we not won it in 08. And it was like, the you know, I think a lot of people talk about this um, in their playing career. You always think you're going to get back. And I remember thinking, you know, well, we'll be back next year. We'll win it. You know, we'll pick up somebody like Roy Halladay, which they did. And, uh, and we'll go win it. And 2010 was, I thought we were even better than we were the previous years. And we went out and um, you know, some guys started to wear down, some injuries started to happen, but they were still replenishing, um, the ranks. Uh, we, we went out and we ended up losing to the San Francisco giants that year and they were red hot. I mean, Linscom and Bumgarner, all those guys, they just, they came out and just outplayed us and you had to tip your hat. You know, we lost to the eventual winner again. And then the off season after that one, um, my, uh, you know, the, the agent I talked about, he was, he was convinced that we were going to get a two-year, maybe even a two-year plus an option deal. And the Phillies offered, because they wanted me to come back, they offered me a year plus an option. And, and the, the, the pre-existing uh, you know, situation, it just kind of it made sense. I remember sitting in the room thinking, that's great. We'll be a Philly again probably for two more years. Because at that point, you'd, you'd spent three years in the Phillies, really your first taste of stability since probably your early 20s with the Royals? Yeah, um, absolutely. As a, as a mature man, as you know, a, a husband, as a, as a father, it was the perfect, it was the perfect scenario. And you, you just you get to that point, I think, at 31, 32 in baseball, you start to think, you know, I mean, I, I've been year to year, basically every year of my career, to have an ex, you know some kind of an extension two years two years would have felt like 10 so for my agent to be that confident that it would happen 
A hundred percent. Yeah. Like if that's what you feel, I don't care where we go. It's my family needs it more than anything. And no one, you know, you, you kind of reset things. Had I been there in, in Philly, you're a guy that's there four or five, six years. That's a huge market. You can, you can always, you know, make a phone call and get a job up there. Um, and I can now I've maintained good relationships, but the, my thought was it ended up being, a. I'd been businessed so many times in baseball that I businessed myself. Um, and, and ended up, you know, we were, we happened to be on vacation in Disney as a family, had no idea that the winter winter meetings were there. So I ended up getting to talk to, um, the Cubs. I ended up, I, I got to talk to a bunch of GMs and they're like, you know, we really do. If the market continues to move the way it is, we can see a, a two year, five and a half million dollar deal for you. We just need to get past these milestones. And so after hearing guys talk like that, I just wanted the Phillies to match it or even give me just a guarantee two for four. And they just, you know, Ruben's like, man, I love you. I don't think that that's what the market's calling for right now. And he was right. So it just went dry. And I ended up sitting at home all the way into spring. Um, March one, March two, I finally signed with uh, the Indians again, Mark Shapiro and Chris Antonetti and all those guys that were there. Um, they're like, yeah, we'll actually give you a big league deal and guarantee you money. It's just not going to be anywhere near what you deserve. And I went there, I was late. Uh, you know, the, the team was actually pretty darn good and coming. Um, and I didn't really, again, I almost fell into that. I'm not getting my opportunity again. Woe was me. And caught myself pretty early on. I, I've really helped a lot of guys out as a mentor. Um, but that season kind of, if it's like this, if this is how baseball is going to be, I don't know how much more I want to do. I don't, I, I, not one time did I ever drive to the park that year and not want to be there, but it wasn't as exciting. I wasn't like jumping out of my car and, and, and excited to be in the clubhouse. Not like I was and, uh, ended up having a so-so year. I asked to be traded halfway through the year quietly. And Chris Antonetti, um, you know, we talked one-on-one and he was the GM at the time. And he just said, Chad, you're too important to the rest of this team to, to let go. Just keep, keep coming to work. Your opportunities are going to come. You could be a guy like this that plays for, and, and they were right. I didn't have the stuff to be a seventh or eighth inning guy, uh, for years to come the way the arms were coming in, but you still want to compete. You don't want to be a long guy or a mentor when you're 31, 32, 33 years old. You want to, you want to be a guy, um, that can compete. So, um, at that point, had you started thinking about what's after baseball yet? Cause it's not, by the time your thirties roll around, it's not just even you and your wife, you've got, you've, you started trying to learn how to, to parent and raise kids while also, you know, balancing a career that involves constant travel provides financial security, but you're gone half the year pretty much. Had you thought about, Hey, maybe this isn't the right, you know, when will this not be the right career path for me anymore? You know, I, I had thought about post-baseball career. I'd kind of set up myself in, in a lot of ways. And in 07, 06, 07, and 08, I had a, a business. Um, it was basically an amateur recruiting tool, showcase you. I mean, a whole lot like, you know, the Max Preps meets Perfect Game is now. Um, and we, we, you know, I met some venture guys that put me in, in front of, um, you know, some, some private equity and venture funds. And you know, bad timing, 07, 08. Um, if had we got funding, I feel like we'd have been really good. Um, you know, my, my, the partner in that one, Jake Chapman, left-handed guy that I met in my first year, first instructionally, 
very, very bright guy. Um, we just, it was bad timing, but I, I started to build that network of, of people for post baseball career. I was always good with the on air broadcast journalism side, um, for those types of, of potential and, and always got along really well with the coach and staff and the GM. So you start to think like that just a little bit, like, what am I going to do after? Do I really want my family to be on the road? What do I need to do for them to have st stability? You know, my wife, you pay a hefty price tag as a, uh, as a spouse in professional sports. She definitely didn't get the, the, the same upside that, that you, you know, that I got or uh, Flaherty or any of those guys got, you know, we get all the, the upside. We also take more of the risk um, and, and put ourselves out there, but realizing what she was doing on a daily basis, just with one kid um, was, was a lot. And then, you know, in, as you start to have more, yeah, you know, second kid and a third one on the way. I mean, man, yes, you're, you start to really think about like how much longer should I do this versus could I do this? Cause I could have played a lot longer. I was healthy when I left. I didn't leave because of an injury. It was more on the, the psychological side of, you know, how much longer will my wife be my wife if we continue to do this? Well, you're still kind of going year to year at that point too. You do um, Indians and then you've got your, your illustrious three month tenure as a Washington national, which I, which I've got to hear about, but there's not, you know, you're not signed to a 10 year contract where you guys at least can live in the same place. You know, walk me through the, the 2012 season, the spring training with the nationals. So 2012, I went into spring and coming off of a, a you know, poor statistical year, um, I was still very familiar with a lot of the guys. I played against a ton of them while I was with the Phillies. Um, there were, there were, I'd have to really look at them, to be honest, you have to look at the roster. I know Brad Lidge was there with me um, in spring training. Um, Jason Worth was there. Bryce Harper was a rookie. Um, the relief corps had done really well the year before. Davey Johnson was the manager. And I came in, and I thought I had a chance to make that club. I don't think that they had any intention of keeping me on that big league club because I pitched as well as I could pitch in spring. And so Kevin, my, 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 he turned eight the other day, he turned on, on March 30th, two days before he was born, obviously you got to leave and go see your, your kid being born. I don't think they expect me to be around. So I said, Hey, I gotta, I gotta leave. They're like, well, we need you back. Um, you know, on this date because we got to see you pitch one or two more times. We've got a tough decision to make. Like if you don't know what the hell's going on by now, um, you know, one or two more outings aren't really going to make a difference. I remember thinking that. Oh, I, and I might have said it because you get a little older, you get a little more bold, um, and and nobody's going to take it the wrong way. <clears throat> you know, maybe at 22 they take it different. But I came home. My second son was born. Um, it was you know phenomenal to be around, and then I had to leave again. It was like okay, you know, I go down to spring training and we I pitch once. We pitched against. Uh, I think we rode all the way across the state to Boston and pitched against them. And then we fly out from there to Washington, D.C. So I go there, you know, I got to be on the team. You know, if I'm going here, it's exhibition game. And I'm standing on the line, uh, right not on the line, right in front of the dugout for the anthem in the exhibition game. And Davey Johnson and Brian Minetti, who's an assistant GM there, he's, he's an assistant GM with the Phillies now, they're both going, Durbin, hey, and I finally turned around there like come here and I'm like let me finish the anthem and I finished the anthem I walked down there like hey uh we're, we're, we wanted to keep you um it just didn't work out um 
And I'm like, okay, well, what are we talking about? Well, you're going to, you're, the Atlanta Braves picked you up. We were trying to trade for you, um, you know, trade with them, and, and it just we ran out of time. Um, but they're playing the Mets to start out the season, and you need to be there tomorrow. And I remember thinking, like, my wife and I secure, we, I mean, late in the, in the you know, month, while she's about to give birth, we secure a, a five, six-month lease in, in and about Washington, D.C. Not a cheap place to live. No, no, it was like a, a $5,500, $6,000 a month lease. And as of April 1, it was official. Like you couldn't back out of it. And so you ask your agent, please, as a lawyer, go take care of this. Because now we have to go find a place in Atlanta. Because you know, apparently we're a brave. So we, we go over there. Um, I meet those guys. I meet Eric Hinsky and David Ross and Chipper Jones are all um, getting off an elevator while I'm getting on. And they're like, hey, we're, we're going to eat at this steak place, dude. I know it's been a weird day, um, but if you want to meet us, like get dressed, come on. And I remember like literally like kind of making the decision during the 11 or 12, um, you know, floor ride on the, uh, on the elevator. Younger, I probably wouldn't have gone. Older, it's like, you know what? It'll show them that I'm in. Like there's no fear. There's no, they're, they're like I'm not, I'm ready to go. I need to go eat dinner. And uh, so at Delmonico's in New York City, I, I met, I think I sat next to Eric O'Flaherty. I, I, you know, talking to Chris Medlin, um, you know, Chipper was fantastic. Brian McCann's one of the best human beings on the planet. David Ross, I mean, you think about who was on that team and, and you know, we, we just had a really good roster, Jason Hayward and, and Michael Bourne and all those guys. So I was taken in like, you know, they had all faced me or watched me or knew who I was. So I was taken in like, dude, we're happy to have you. And, you know, it went from that to some jokes about Eric Hinsky striking out against Brad Lidge to end the 08 World Series. And what did you think he was going to throw you? Um, just if it just fit really well and didn't start out the year great, um, pulled a hamstring really bad, um, playing a Roby football, you know, running sprints, playing a Roby football. And it was just dumb. It wasn't like in any kind of baseball situation, but the team was good. The management was solid. I really enjoyed being in Atlanta, the, the place, you know, the area we lived, um, Alpharetta. My wife just loved it. You know, it was fantastic with a young baby. Um, and they ended up, uh, you know, coming there a couple weeks into the season. So, I felt like, again, okay, now I'm in a very stable situation. Um, no no more stable than the Indians were, but I, I don't know. I just There's three lefties, Johnny Venters, Eric O'Flaherty, and then uh, Luis Avalon was uh, another lefty that came up and was filthy during the year. So I was not going to have to face anybody with any significance left-handed if I were in a, a, a good situation in the pen. If I'm in a bad situation, i got to face all those guys. It is what it is. And – it's weird. When I pulled the, the hamstring, it was a left hamstring, I started to try a little bit less to throw with velocity, get a little bit more movement on it. And with Brian McCann and David Ross calling pitches and having really good defenders out there, it just became a matter of I'm not going to be able to punch guys out. I'm not going to be able to do this. And I started to earn my role in that bullpen. And, and we were a good team. We were going to beat a lot of teams, competitive and I had a whole lot of fun being a veteran, fitting into like a sixth, seventh, eighth inning, get one or two outs, maybe three outs type of role, and had a blast and earned my way into having some leverage going into that offseason. We ended up losing that uh, one, it was the first one game playoff, and they had that pop up um, 
I forget who hit the pop up, but the infield fly, the infield fly rule where it dropped like three three feet in front of routine left field, and they called the infield fly. And it just, you know, it ended up, you know, the fans threw a fit and all that. But remember that season, it was like, man, this is this is so much fun. I hope we go deep. I'd never not gone deeper than just, you know, the first division series or whatever. So I was, you know, I was ready to go win a World Series. Chippers last year, that was phenomenal. It was, it was really cool to see the type of, of people in that clubhouse embrace him differently than he'd ever been embraced. There are a lot of, um, you know, moments where he could have been the, the Hall of Famer too soon. And he ended up just being a great teammate. And, and that part of it was just great to be around. Been around a lot of really good players. <clears throat> and Chipper in his last couple of years was just, you know, a blast to be around. I faced him a lot um, while I was with the Phillies. So there were, a lot of, there were some good banter there. Um, and then, you know, after that season, I was just, I, 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 I thought I was going back to the Braves. I thought it was a good fit. And, and the truth is, we ended up... Uh, you know, talking to them, they said, we've got some young right-handers that we feel like fit that bill <clears throat> pretty well. And uh, we, we <clears throat> the Phillies started to call us early. They were like, hey, man, if you haven't signed yet, there's a pretty good chance you're going to be available. We would love to have you. We'll give you a year plus an option, just like we were before. It's not going to be for the same money, but let's go. Let's go. <clears throat> we still have a chance to win for a couple years. You know, the, the window's shutting, but you could come be some stability. We need somebody to come in and be you know, kind of a bridge, you know, with the media and with the team to Papelbon and some of the guys that aren't as easy to get along with. So, and I, I mean, because we didn't sign and I loved Philly, we went back there and I, we were happy um, as we could possibly be to go back there. Were you still gung ho about baseball itself at that point? It was bad. I was, I was, I was in the best shape I think I'd been in since, um, you know, earlier in my career. I put a lot of time and effort into you know, focusing on the new information that was out there, not quite the, the data trend that's here now, but the start of it, um, making sure I was measuring my range of motion, my, my scap mobility, hip mobility, um, you know, core strength, explosive strength, not just being able to squat and lunge and, and throw up weight. And I thought like this, this is how you extend your career and play until you're 40 plus. And then, the, the 2013 season um, kind of started out. I, I, I felt like I was in a good spot. The stuff was where I wanted it to be, and I just couldn't get quite get outs. And I thought there would be enough patience because I've, I've started a lot of years you know, poorly and come back from it. And because we were losing at, at a pretty good clip and, and looked like Roy Halladay was going to be out for a while that season, he was hurt. Um, I think they started to say, okay, how do we shed these guys? And my, my little girl was due on June 24th. This was in, this was in early, this was the last week of May. I was, it was the first couple times that ever I talk, talked about earlier about driving to the field and not wanting to go play baseball. This was the first couple times that I've driven, <clears throat> driven to the field. And I was just like, man, I'm taking up somebody's spot. You know, there's somebody in AAA that's dying to be here. And I'm thinking about what I need to do to go there later and not be there early and not be, you know, a, a dude in the clubhouse. And by that, I don't mean a guy that goes out and throws a hundred and strikes out everybody. I mean, just, just a clubhouse presence. And I, I don't want to be there. And this is just weird for me. So I remember thinking that the last couple of days, and I had a bad outing against the uh, Boston Red Sox and <clears throat> Salton Lamakia hit up. A double off the wall that I thought was a home run, and I remember just being over, 
pitching in the big leagues and just how embarrassed, not outwardly, but in, you know, internally how I was, um, in regards to baseball, like I'm still pitching the big leagues and I'm not happy. I'm not content. I'm not, you know, competitive. I don't have that drive. Like what's going on. And Ruben Amaro, who I love to death. Um, he, he grabbed me on my way out of the clubhouse and said, Hey, uh, what do you think about going home and seeing your daughter be born? Take these two or three weeks, be around your wife and spend a week or two after that with her and see how you feel about baseball after the 4th of July and the all-star break. And if you still want to do this, great. We'd love to have you go to AAA, get onboarded again. Um, we want you as part of the organization for a long time. I take you in the front office right now. Um, but as far as competing day to day right now, I just don't know if, uh, if that's the right move for the organization. Remember that was a very candid, you know, conversation with a former big leaguer who understands. And I remember thinking about the opportunity to be home and be around my wife during that stretch, be around my kids to help her. I've never, I've always been the guy that, you know, August 3rd was the date my, my first son was born. I'd never taken more than two days, 72 hours at most to parachute in and, and see a baby be born and then parachute out. Um, I remember Jim Leland calling after Cade was born in, in 2007, August 3rd, he called the next day and, and said, you know, how long does it take to have a freaking kid? He was, he's kidding. He's just giving a line. But I remember thinking like, that's what they expect. Get back here. Like, yeah, cool. You had a kid, you know, he's a boy. Cool. Let's go. Um, same thing that the year with, with the nationals it turned into the, the Braves really quick. There was, there was no time to take all that in. So the opportunity to be able to do that was really special. It's something I won't forget. Um, it was really cool to be around. It was, it, it was, it was weird not to watch games. I still watched a lot of games cause I still care about the guys I played with, but it wasn't what I was doing every night at seven Oh five. So there was a little bit of separation there in, in middle of August. I remember getting asked by my agent, um, getting asked by my wife, by my dad, by my mom, by friends, are you done? And I remember thinking, I don't know. Like, I'm not 100% done, but I'm not, like, I don't miss it. Like, I, I miss ripping on a baseball, trying to get out with pool holes out, but I don't miss the the space between right now. And there used to be the space between that I felt like I adored the most, that, that I embraced the most. So that was a... Uh, that was kind of that time. I remember, like, I can tell you, driving from living downtown Philly, driving to the field, and being like, "Man, how much longer do you want to do this?" Like, it happens, and when you're ready, you're ready. A lot of guys don't get to make that choice, and I essentially got to make that choice, but not the same way that I don't know some of these other guys do. There were no parades getting thrown, um, but for me, I got to kind of make the choice not to play anymore. I could still throw, I could still, you know, lift and run, and I could do all that stuff. It wasn't an injury that stopped me. Um, but I, I was ready. When did you know you were done, done? Like you're not going to 2014 spring training. I didn't. I, I think it was January, which is too late really, but I would have, I would have had to go to double A AA or triple A to start out anywhere, even an extended spring training. Um, I still wasn't convinced I was done. I, I, I didn't, I lifted and went about things, but it wasn't, it was just maintenance. And then I remember in January just thinking, you know, I'm ready to stay home. Um, I'm good. And uh, I, I actually took took a little um, gig with Marucci Sports. Uh, Kurt Ainsworth is the is the CEO there, and he was the one I talked about. You know, we 
same class in 96, pitched at LSU and, and just a, a pretty close friend at the time. Um, he was going to trans, you know, transfer or transition into the, the CEO position. And I said, oh, you know, what do you need? Do you need help? He goes, I'd love for you to help me transition into that position. I know you've been, you know, active in the venture world and private equity world for a long time. And I have some guys that are, you know, pretty knowledgeable. If we can tap into that, it'd be great. So I went there and, and helped, you know, some of the things they've done uh, along the way and how he transitioned into CEO. I went there and, and, and went to the winter meetings with him. I remember Harold Reynolds getting really close, like six inches away from me. He goes, you sure you're done? Are you sure? Um, and I remember thinking like, that was one of those moments where I'm like, maybe not because I had somebody intense step into my space and ask me. And that, that kind of stayed in my brain for about 24 hours. I remember thinking, yeah, I'm done. Because in a short amount of time, I talked myself back out of that little bit of spark. Um, no, I don't want to go through an entire spring and wonder whether or not I'm I'm good enough or any of that. I don't I don't want to do it. 17 years was uh, a pretty darn good run. Um, so yeah, that, that was when I realized it was over. Well, let's wrap up with with kind of some retrospectives and and some of it is stuff we talked about off mic before. You know, when we were we were setting this up. Um, you know, first and foremost, baseball wise, what do you, you know, if you could talk to yourself at 18, you know, right before you sign, right. You know, maybe when you got a little bit of the Cancun haze off of you, you know, how to, how to sit down, uh, what do you wish you would have known or what would you have, you know, imparted on yourself just baseball wise of how you went about your business? Cause you, you know, you ended up with over 800 big league innings. Um, you know, you made a, made a good, I mean, you made it you were a major leaguer. Was there anything you could have told 18 year old you that you think things on the field might've turned out even better? Yeah. I, I, you know, I've had this, you know, internal, you know, monologue or dialogue with myself before and, and at, at different times, um, cause I've advised a lot of guys over the years, there's a, there's a part of me that thinks that three years at LSU you know, if I came out of it as healthy as I was, I mean, I got hurt anyway, so maybe it wouldn't have mattered, but, um, just the maturity that comes with, and the leadership that comes with going to college and, and kind of being big man on campus during your junior year and, and as, as an athlete during your junior year, not, not as a senior, you know, sometimes that's a, a weird dynamic, but being able to be more confident in who I was, knowing who I was, I just never felt like I, until, 06, 07. I don't feel like I ever felt like I, I was who I who I was going to be for the next 10 or 15 years of my life. And I think that happens for a lot of guys in college. And I'm not saying I would have told myself to go to college, but I would have given similar advice and tried to speed up that process. Um, I think, you know, the being in the moment, not worrying about what a GM's thinking or what a pitching coach is thinking those were all pieces of advice that helped, you know, build bricks in the wall to, to build that up. But the, uh, the conversation of, you know, understand what hard work is, but also understand what you know, they, I could have been. I think I could have been a lot better um, and, and maintained that uh, earlier. I think I worked too hard to try to keep up with all the guys that were doing steroids and, uh, and, and cheating the, the, the physical system um, that existed during those years. Um, had I known all that, I would have maybe talked to myself about aggressive rest. I would have talked about, you know, you know, being more available to your, your, your network of players. Um, it took me a little while to be that guy. And I think, uh, I think I would have, 
plugged in a little bit more on that end. So the the next thing I've got is something you know we talked about kind of extensively when we first talked is preparing for the future, being a high school guy, preparing for life after baseball, whether, you know, for some kids who sign out of high school, that comes at 22. For you, it came at 35. What would you, you know, you got school included in your bonus. What would you tell 18-year-old you and, you know, guys who are signing out of high school now, guys who are in, you know, minor league baseball or kind of on the fringes of major league baseball, maybe starting to think about, hey, what's life like when I'm not playing? What would you do differently or advise guys who sign out of high school to do about their their life after baseball while they're still playing? I, I would advise guys, you know, whether they're coming out of high school or college, um, not all colleges are the same situation, but you, you have to identify a couple verticals where you need men- mentors. And, you know, one of those might be in the strength conditioning um, PT side, um, one of those may very well exist with a, a current pro or, or former pro um, in, in your line of work that you can have as a mentor and someone on the, on the, on the life side, you know, maybe it's a, a wealth management or financial advisor slash um, agent that you can tap into and get real life advice that I think organically happens um, at the college level sometimes. And maybe some minor league systems have great systems in place but you need to have mentors that you force the issue with, that you, that you, that you tap into and you take their advice um, to heart. I was so, and I wasn't, it wasn't arrogance. It was, I just never wanted to ask for help. Uh, part of that gets you and keeps you in the big leagues if you're talented enough. Um, I, I still, to this day, if I've got something that needs three people to lift something, I'm going to figure it out on my own so I don't have to ask anybody for help. And it's something that I have to work on. And man, people will, people will, if you ask the right questions and an 18, 17 year old, 19 year old, 25 or 30 year old, if you ask the right mentors questions, they'll give you their time happily. And if they don't screw them, find another one. Um, that's the advice I would give. I mean, guys like Al Kaline, man, if you ask them a question, they would stop everything in their world for five minutes to advise. George Brett was the same. Those are Hall of Famers. It doesn't have to be that guy. I'm talking about those just happen to be available to me. But there may be a guy who pitched in college who, you know, coached for a couple years that that your dad knows and and he knows a wealth management guy that he used early on. And you get to tap into those guys. Like finding people that are going to be quality mentors and weave them into your life. The last thing I've got for you is right now you're you're on the other side. You're you're coaching. You've got you know you've got children that you're coaching. You mentioned your son just turned twelve, and I just kind of want to throw it into a hypothetical. And if you you know if you continue to coach baseball, coach your son, and your son or one of the players that you're working with is kind of faced with the same decision you were at eighteen: sign or go to college. What's the, I I guess not wisdom you'd impart, but what do you think the traits are? Hey, either, you know, pro ball is right for you or maybe college is right for you. Just hypothetically, if it's your son in the same scenario, um, you know, with your family, I, you, you know, have a little bit more stability. The, the money itself probably isn't the, the main driver. What do you think is the key of kids who need to go to college, kids who, you know, are, are ready to sign for pro ball? Well, one of the exercises my mom did um, 
when I was 18 was, I want you to paint the picture of your next six months. What do you think it's going to be like? And it was, it wasn't that difficult to do because I had really, you know, tapped in and figured out. But again, I was caught off guard when I got down there and it was a clover leaf and not people and all that. But as far as monetary and all that stuff, I, I thought that was a decent exercise. Knowing what I know now, obviously that's what the question pertains to. If my son were in a similar situation, if, if the same body, uh, you know, showed up at 18 years old, he would be a potential first round, early second round pick. And unless you're going to get paid life-changing money and life-changing money to someone who's had money, isn't a, it's not the same number, like $200,000 to somebody might be completely life-changing. Um, my situation, it wouldn't be like that for my son. So we're talking four or five, $6 million to bypass college where I value what I didn't have at a very high rate. I think I would tell my son, if, if you've built the leverage component to this and you can go to a Vanderbilt or a Stanford, go. Like, don't, don't even think twice about it. Go there and build your life resume. And if baseball works out, phenomenal. But if, even if it's your dream to be a big leaguer, let's go through rosters and let's pick out the guys who went to great schools for college and see who was successful. And then let's go find the guys that came out of high school because it's not – the numbers aren't the same. And, and so that's kind of – if the same situation comes up, I'm sending my kid to uh, as good a school as he can get to, and I'm going to push hard from the time he's in, you know, eighth or ninth grade where grades start to matter um, from a big-picture standpoint. They matter all, all along the way, but your ACT and your SAT and your, and your GPA, man, they, they matter just as much as your, your velocity and your spin rate and your vertical break and all that stuff. So that's the advice that I would give. I mean, Blaine Enlow is a, uh, a right-handed pitcher with the Twins who's in their top 10 prospect list and all that stuff. He was out of Santa Mall, Louisiana, and ended up being – he would have been probably an early second-round guy. Ended up getting um, some decent money. He got first-round money. He got first round money, exactly. But fantastically, he's very talented. But I don't know that's like for him, he never wanted to go to school and signed at LSU. And for me, I just look at the, you know, from an emotional maturity standpoint, I'm still worried about him to this day, how he would handle all that free time with money versus going to an LSU where there's a lot of structure. It's a different ecosystem now. You don't really wear out arms the way you did 20 years ago had I been able to leverage that situation anymore, I would have probably told, I, I did tell him, you know, you got to do what's right for you, but you know, college is a really good option here. Um, but ultimately pushing your agenda, there was no agenda, but you push your own personal life experience on somebody too much. And maybe it's not the right thing, but yeah, there, that kid um, is super talented. And I'm just really worried about how money plus free time would, his maturity wasn't where I wanted to see it at the time. And then there are other kids that are 18 that, man, they already got their next 10 years of their life figured out. And they're very mature and they're very motivated in, in all ways. So it is, it is a fluid, um, comprehensive uh, approach to that. Um, you know, again, my kid, I would probably really heavily encourage him to go to college. 
Well, I as a Twins fan, I am I am pulling very hard for for Blaine Enlow and everyone else in that farm system. But Chad Durbin, thank you so much for joining from Phenom to the Farm. Really appreciate you giving me your time and and laying out your story in such good detail. Thanks so much, man. All right, Kyle, I appreciate it. That was awesome. You're you're doing a fantastic job, and uh, you know the Twins uh, stuff coming up on MLB Network. Got to go watch some Paul Molitor and some uh, you know some Tory Hunter and and some uh, Kent Herback highlights. They had Bly Levin's uh, Game 2 start 1987 World Series, which I'd, I'd only watched the VHS. I'd never seen it in full, so that was, that was a fun one for me. Chad, you take care, man. You too. Thank you. I appreciate it. And that's a wrap on our talk with former Major League pitcher Chad Durbin. As always, if you enjoyed this podcast, please remember to subscribe wherever you get your podcast to get episodes when they air every other Tuesday. Uh, also remember, if you are listening on Apple Podcasts, please tap that five-star rating and leave a review. Uh, let us know what you think. Make sure to continue to check out BaseballAmerica.com for all your pre-draft coverage and labor negotiations with the upcoming uncertain Major League Baseball season. For now, we will catch you in two weeks. Thanks.